Bustin' Loose Baseball, hosted by Grant Paulson and Toby Altizer, gives you in-depth analytics and interviews on everything baseball in the nation's capital. Now, here's your host, Grant Paulson and Toby Altizer. Toby Altizer here for Busted Loose Baseball alongside Grant Paulson. Grant's out in Seattle, been part of all the All-Star festivities, enjoying the time out there. How's it been, Grant? It's been so good. This is something I look forward to every single year. Uh, I always get a little worn down with the voice by the time it's all set and done and uh, the travel and everything. It's long days, but it's it's really good time. I got out here on Friday night. Uh, Saturday was at the ballpark all day. Uh did a three-hour futures game show on the field and then three-plus hours on the field with uh, the broadcast, sat in the NL dugout. I was shoulder-to-shoulder in the dugout with Ken Griffey Jr. for about 20 minutes, you know, talking to him. as he was He's like an amateur photographer now, taking pictures. So that was pretty cool. Um, and obviously getting to interview a bunch of the, the National League stars in the futures game on our in-game broadcast as a sideline reporter and then run out on the field to, to interview the MVP I uh, got some dinner out here in Seattle, really good spot on the water on Saturday night. And then on Sunday, it was our draft show, man. We were live. I was with former GMs, Jim Bowden, Jim Duquette, my buddy Mike Farron, who calls games on ESPN for college ball, who's our college expert. And uh, we, we deep dived into We did the top 39 picks live on air. It's a marathon show. It was about five hours of radio uh, w- without standing up. You know, it was like being on a flight, basically. Can't go to the bathroom. It was a really, really good time. And then uh, yesterday was over at the ballpark, did a show live from uh, T-Mobile Park, the old Safeco, on media day, and uh, enjoyed the home run derby, which we should talk about as well because uh, that was incredible. So gearing up now for the All-Star game tonight, it's, it's kind of fun. You know, you, you start with the high school All-American game on Friday when I get in, and then they had the HBCU Classic on Friday night, and then the Futures game and the draft and the derby. And you're kind of like, wait, there's an all-star game tonight, too? And it's like the whole reason you come out here. So it's baseball's done a really, really good job putting all this together in the sense of like it's it's no longer just a day or two, right? It's a almost a week of events at a lot of levels to showcase the game, which is incredible. Yeah, it looks like a lot of fun, honestly, seeing all the videos you've sent us and the, watching the home run derby last night, seeing the futures game, all the stuff out there. Makes me want to get out to Seattle. I want to get out and see T-Mobile Park. It looks like a beautiful ballpark. But let's not bury the lead here, Grant. We want to talk about Dylan Cruz coming to D.C. with a second overall pick. So Paul Skeens goes number one overall to the Pittsburgh Pirates. I don't know if it's a huge surprise, but a little bit of one because there was a lot of talk about Wyatt Langford going number one overall. The, The slugger from Florida ended up going number four overall. But there was a lot of talk of him going there. They end up going with Skeens, which I think makes a lot of sense for Pittsburgh. I think that's a really good pick for them. You get a guy that can really transform your pitching staff, a guy that's a future ace, the guy that they really don't ever have the opportunity to sign in free agency. They get him. So that leaves the Nationals the choice of Dylan Cruz and a bunch of others. But I don't know that there was much of a choice there for Mike Rizzo and the the crew. I think it was Dylan Cruz all along if they took Skeens number one. So they go and take Dylan Cruz. Obviously, a lot to be excited about with Dylan Cruz coming to D.C. Yeah, 100 percent. I think they were choosing between the two players from LSU, right? I mean, it was that simple. If the Pirates took one of them, your job is done. 
And if they didn't, then you choose between the two, and it would have been fascinating to see what they would have done. I, I do think maybe they would have gone Skeens. They're a pitching-friendly organization. Obviously, Rizzo loves starting pitching, and he was also a celebrity. And if ownership gets involved, then you know they sometimes lean toward the more famous player. And if you watched Mike Rizzo make the call to Dylan Cruz, Mark Lerner's sitting right in front of him, kind of knee-to-knee in the draft room. Uh, having said that, I was told that Dylan Cruz was a little higher than him on their draft board for what that's worth. I think he was rated, you know, their number one overall player. It's just a matter at that point of, you know, if it's by hairs, are you going with the, the ace or the, the outfielder? And how does it fit into your system? What do you feel best about? But I think this worked out so well for the Nationals. I think Nats fans should be elated. First thing I want to say, because I've seen a lot of this on social media, is all this stuff about, oh, he's a Boris guy and kiss him goodbye. That's so stupid. Like, it's just so nonsensical. Number one, we're, you're talking about seven years from now. Like, that is so much. That, that's a quarter of, that's a fifth of my life so far. You know, like, who cares what happens seven years from now? Now, if, if in seven years he's Soto and Harper and, and he leaves because of the Boris situation, you've won. I mean, you've already won. He's a star. He's been masterful he's led you to the postseason like that's huge that's a w uh but i, I just i've hated that narrative but i, I don't want to bury the lead and, and get too much deeper into that let's talk about the player the player special a 21 year old bat it's going to stay in center field for me if you thought he was going to move to a corner then the difference between he and wyatt langford wasn't huge uh, i don't think he's going to move to a corner i think he's going to stay up the middle and play center field he's six foot and 205 he can run he was the leader of an LSU team that won a college world series. This is elite level makeup. I was told a story recently where he went to his college coach, Jay Johnson with Paul Skeens. And they asked Jay Johnson toward the end of the year, you know, what can we do to make sure that this culture sustains after we leave? I mean, how many college kids do that kind of a thing and, and are asking those types of questions, but that's the kind of makeup and character we're talking about. One of the things I liked best about Dylan Cruz is the success he had against the best college arms he faced. He hit two homers last year off Blake Tidwell, who went just outside of the top 50. Uh, he had exit velocities against Paul Skeens in the one game he ever had against Skeens when Skeens was at Air Force last year of 109 and 111.2, including a 413-foot home run off, off Paul Skeens. So he handled velocity. Most batted balls over 100 miles an hour in college since 2000. First two years of school, his max EV was 115, and his 90th percentile exit velocity, which is probably more telling, was 108. And I know it's a, a metal bat, but that's special. This was the best player in the class. This was the best bat in the nation. This was the Heisman Trophy winner in baseball, the Golden Spikes Award winner, and an SEC Player of the Year for two straight years in the best conference. And Toby, we've talked a lot about the numbers, but he, he hit 425. He slashed 426, 567, 713. And he tied for the Division I lead with 71 walks against 46 strikeouts. And the guy he tied was playing in a pretty bad conference against bad competition. So I love Dylan Cruz. It's a long track record of success. As a senior in high school, he would have gone in the first round in a normal draft, pulled his name to go to college. Then he was the national freshman of the year, led the SEC in total bases as a freshman, 
set the school record with 18 home runs in his first year. As a sophomore, he hit 22 more homers, was the SEC player of the year, as I mentioned. And then this year he was the best player in the country, and they won a College World Series. So I just think the Nats got themselves a really safe, really, really good offensive player who's going to move quickly. It is not unrealistic to say that he'll play in the big leagues by the end of next season. And that's what I like about this pick if you're a Nationals fan. You know, it can be difficult at times when you go through rebuilds, especially in baseball, where you're picking guys, maybe you're taking a high schooler, and you might not see this guy for three, four, maybe even five years plus. That's not going to be the case with Dylan Cruz. And to your point, this guy has a long track record. If you look back at his slash line as a freshman in the SEC, 362, 453, 663. Then he improved on some of those numbers in his sophomore year, 349, 463, 691. Never had an OPS lower than 1,100 in the SEC in three years. So I think that you're looking at a guy that clearly adjusted, obviously broke out this season with a, a 400, 500, 700 slash line, which is incredible. So I think this is a guy that could quickly rise through the ranks, a guy that you could see in the big leagues by next season. And now that he's in the system, now that you have the opportunity to look and say, this is the guy we drafted, you can look at a guy like Cruz there with Wood. We'll see what happens with Hassel, if he can kind of get back to his form. And the thing that I really like about this is I'm assuming that they're not going to move Lane Thomas. I, I, unless they get a, a bat or a, an arm that they really, really like, maybe a top 100 prospect, I just don't think they're going to move him. So now you can look at it, say next season, Maybe by the end of next season, you're looking at an outfield of Lane Thomas and Wright, Cruz or Wood in center field, the other in left, and you have Hassel still coming up at some point. So maybe that bumps Thomas to a fourth outfielder or Hassel's your fourth outfielder. And then the guy that gets forgotten in all of this is Elijah Green. It almost turns him into a luxury at this point because the crazy part about all of this is Elijah Green might have a higher ceiling than all of these guys. And so now if you can get that guy to turn out to be a stud, that really puts you over the top. So taking a guy like Dylan Cruz kind of allows your system to just revamp itself a little bit. And having Wood come up pretty soon, having Cruz come up pretty soon, I think also is good for the ball club because it allows there to be some excitement. You know, you can you can go see these guys whenever they're in town. I think the the Senators are back in town against the Bay Sox next week. So if you want to go see James Wood and the boys over there, you can do that. But you won't have to wait too, too long to see these guys in the major leagues. And I think that's really important for the Nationals because some of this, is, uh, you know, the, the World Series happens, then COVID happens, then they're selling off everyone. And I think it kind of demoralized the fan base a little bit. Well, now you're looking like the up and up could be coming a lot sooner than we expected with the Soto trade and now drafting Dylan Cruz. I think there's going to be a lot of excitement around adding Cruz to this outfield, and rightfully so. I mean, we talked about how crazy good this guy can be, and I think that once he comes up to the big leagues, he's going to stick here for a long time. Yeah, I mean, so a couple of things. I mean, A, their outfield and their system is pretty loaded, as you said. Um, if you look at it, so – James Wood and Dylan Cruz are a cut above. I think they need to be separated because those guys are just really special prospects. And uh, MLB Pipeline and some of the, the publications that, that rank prospects will have to do a lot of re-ranking now after this draft. But I, I promise you Dylan Cruz will be a top 10 prospect in baseball. I'd be really surprised if he isn't. So the Nats will have two guys in the top 10 with Wood and with Dylan Cruz in my estimation. Uh, maybe Wood slots down a pick or two if, if Paul Skeens or someone goes ahead of him. Uh, but, you know, I, I do think that those two guys are different, so I separate them. 
having said that, as you said, in the case of the rest of their outfielders and their system, though, in the same way that you can't just bank on Dylan Cruz becoming a superstar or James Wood becoming a beast because until you've proven it as a prospect, you know, it's just kind of potential. We don't know that none of these other guys are going to end up being a lot better than we think. Right. So right now the arrow is down on Elijah Green and we don't feel as good about him because there's just not a long track record of guys who strike out as much as he is in a ball turning it around and having a great career. Like it's really alarming for me. Uh, and I am really, really worried about him. Having said that, if if they make a swing adjustment and something clicks, you're right. Like that's a top five pick that has a massive ceiling. I, I believe that. Um. Dalen Lyle, who I've seen a bunch in Fredericksburg, has a chance to be a really good major league outfielder. I know there are some people in the Nats system that that actually, after the last few months, think that he might end up outpacing Robert Hassel because he might have a little bit more wallop in the swing. Um, Hassel's going to need, I think, to beef up this offseason and to uh, maybe even make a, a swing tweaker or something mechanically. Uh, but they need him to hit the ball in the air louder and, and hit more home runs. But he's got a chance to still be a good major leaguer. I mean, this is a guy who was viewed as a safe 280, 20 home run guy when they acquired him. And I still think they believe, by the way, that he's going to hit 20 home runs a season. But he, he just hasn't gotten there and shown it yet. And the broken handmate might be a reason why. And then you throw some of the other names in there. Jeremy De La Rosa has flashed you know, some legit potential. Like th- there are enough outfielders in this system that you feel like they've created some really good competition, which I like, but going back to Dylan Cruz specifically before we move on and talk about some of the other things they did in the draft. um, You know, I I just think it's, it's important to acknowledge how strong the hit tool is here. You know, this was a 70 hit tool. This is one of the very few graded hit tools at 70 for pipeline that they've had over the last five years in the draft. They don't really give that out. Uh, it's probably close to 60 power he could tap into, you know, 20 plus home runs in a good year. He could be upper 20s maybe if it all comes together. Uh, he's a good runner. He's a 60 runner. It's a it's a 55 arm and a 50 fielder. So you're talking about every single tool potentially being above average. A couple of things I, I, I did want to point out. While he did a great job against fastballs, 431 average, 736 slug, um, and, you know, against upper quartile velocity. So if you look at the 95 plus velocity, uh, he hit 430 with a 570 slug. Now that slug is not as good. What that tells you is that's kind of an average, closer to average slug at that point for that sample. It tells you that he's still got a lot of hits, but not as much power against velocity. And if you start to look at ground ball rates and things against velocity, it goes up, which I guess is not necessarily stunning. But what I noticed about him is it was a lot more ground balls this year than you want. It was a 51% ground ball rate, 51%. Um, His average launch angle against 95 plus was 8.7. First two months of the year for the synergy data that I was able to get my hands on. What that tells me is, you know, you, you want kind of like a 12 to 20 degree launch angle. That's like the the sweet spot for line drives and, and driving the ball. So it was more ground balls than you're looking for against Velo. Now I'm nitpicking. I'm looking at one of the most beautiful models in the world and trying to find, you know, a, a, a bad earlobe or something. Right. But but these are the things he's going to have to clean up. 
And the last thing I'll say is, and the reason I feel so good about Dylan Cruz, um, I think this is a great stat I found for our draft coverage on MLB radio. He had 53 plate appearances this year that ended with fastball velocities 95 or plus. Okay. So that means that the final pitch of an at bat, it could be a strike, uh, strikeout, a walk, a base hit, or a batted ball out, whatever. But 95 plus to end an at bat, 53 plate appearances. Other first rounders, Chase Davis had five of those in the Pac 12. Uh, Brock Wilkin in the ACC had six of those. So you're, that, that's just a way to quantify the caliber of the competition that he was facing. 53 compared to five or six. And there were guys in the draft that had fewer than that that went in the first round. I mean, the competition you face in the SEC and specifically that he faced was pretty dynamic. And the mother, the dude hit 430 and that had 1,200 OPS. I mean, the Nats fans should be elated that they just added this bat. And one last point I'll make, and I'm being too long-winded, but we've talked a lot about this player development staff, okay, and or, or their ability to draft and develop and why guys haven't panned out and what's gone wrong. Last week we talked about that Baseball America piece where they're the worst at turning out basically hitting prospects. You know, Elijah Green was drafted, needed to make a swing adjustment. Guess what? Right now, Elijah Green strikes out too much, needs to make a swing adjustment. Like, you haven't seen that growth yet. This is not a guy that needs a lot of developing necessarily. And I also think that's a really good sign for a team that, if we're just being honest, has struggled at developing hitters. And that's another reason why I really like him. Yeah. And I mean, just to reiterate what that piece was about was basically saying that Nationals hitters that they've drafted over the last 10 years are the worst. And if you multiply their numbers by three, four, five, sometimes even six, seven times, you're not even catching up to the team that's in front or sometimes even to the team that's ahead of you. So it's it's been really bad. And like you said, I think you get a guy here that doesn't need too, too much development. I think he's going to be a good player pretty much regardless of what the Nationals do. The, the question I have as we wrap up here with Dylan Cruz before we get into the rest of the draft class, does he start in double A? Does he start in high A? Does he start in Fredericksburg? Where do you think he ends up starting out? I think, see, what I would do and what teams do is always different. I would be ultra aggressive. I, I, my guess is uh, a lot of times you have guys play a few games at, at a couple levels right away. Number one, I think it gives fans a chance to come out and see them and, and helps. You know, also you just you get them to let them get their feet wet without being like overly thrown into the fire or challenged. Uh, you know, Fredericksburg's such a beautiful new ballpark <clears throat> and has such a good following and in turnouts. It wouldn't surprise me if he went there for like a week or a few games, you know. Then you send him to Wilmington, and I think he could spend a week or two there. The answer to the question, your point is like, where will he play the bulk of his action? I think it should be a double A, to be honest with you. I mean, to me... The SEC is on par with, like, good A action, like A-plus maybe. So, you know, you probably would start him just naturally in A-plus ball if, if all things are equal for what would be like a tune-up, get you used to the organization, let's go over some things with a little less on the line, and then maybe you bump him up to double A and, and, and kind of, quote-unquote, throw him into the fire. 
and see how it goes. But like, do I think his first game will be a double A? I think that would, I would do that. I think that would be aggressive and fun. And I think he could handle his own. I don't think he would dominate by any means, but I think he could have some enough success to feel good about himself. But my guess is he plays a few games initially below that. And they just kind of get him started um, probably more so in Wilmington than Fredericksburg, but the ballpark and the locale and, and just because of the geography of it, like it would make sense to, to have him in Fredericksburg for a little bit too. So maybe my prediction will be a couple games at, at each of the A-ball affiliates, you know, maybe a few more games in Wilmington and then the bulk of the rest of the season in double-A. But we'll see how quickly they get him signed. If they could do it, you know, soon, that changes everything. If they don't do it till the deadline at the last minute, um, then that, that also makes a difference. 